Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> so, sorry, I have a little um, rasp in my voice this morning. Don't know um, what you might be dealing with today. Uh, but let's just start with this. Let's have a conversation about perspective. Perspective, people. Let's have some perspective. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. You can find us at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. That is a great way to share um this experience with others. So perspective, <clears throat> perspective. Let's get a little perspective. Yes, actor Will Smith owed comedian Chris Rock an apology for losing his temper and slapping him during the Oscar ceremony on a Sunday night. And yes, that apology happened. But I'm not sure that it is um, the conversation that should be consuming us in these days. Chris Rock was not injured. He didn't even lose his feet. It was a slap, not a punch. But the conversation seemed to be obsessed with, you know, the questions, will charges be pressed? Will Will Smith lose his Oscar? Will he be expelled from the Academy? Um, I don't know, but there are some very serious concerns in the world. Um, and the Will Smith slapped Chris Rock story is um, really not that important. So... Ukraine, the Iran nuclear deal, Afghanistan, the Uyghurs in China, the Rohingya in Myanmar, um, the U.S. southern border, the U.S. educational system, the criminal justice system, immigration, inflation, housing costs, opioid epidemic, mental health, um, U.S. vulnerability to cyber attack, the threat that, you know, our electric grid or our fuel distribution pipelines or our water systems, traffic lights, GPS. Yeah, we have some concerns. Now, I, this is not, you know, chicken little, the the sky is falling. But this is, hey, look up, pay attention, and let's get some perspective on the realities of the world in which we live. And sometimes the things that we make big are really small, and we're doing that because we think it is something that we can manage or control. And the other things seem too big, too far away, and too much out of our control. So let me encourage you to do one thing today. Just hear someone else's story. Just hear someone else give their perspective on life and the realities of life. Just gain some perspective today by just listening to someone else's story. So yesterday I uh, sat in a webinar and just listened to uh, the stories of recent immigrants to the United States. One um, young woman who happens to be a senior at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, she actually came to the United States um, during high school on uh, on an educational visa, and she went to school in Pella, Iowa, and she graduated, and then... um, You know, her world 
turned upside down. She's from Afghanistan. And so yesterday she was talking about the plight of her family. Um, She was actually in Afghanistan um, at the end of August. You know, she hadn't come back to college yet. She had been, you know, home for the summer. She talked about uh, the harrowing uh, adventure of getting out. She talked about having to leave her her husband behind, having to leave her mother and her uh, four of her five sisters, her brother. They sold everything that they could and went to um, Zara Sharif, hoping that they, too, would be able to get out of Afghanistan. And after spending months there and all they had, um, they returned to Kabul, where they have no jobs, no prospect um, of work, where the power's been off for two weeks. And so when you think today about what students across the country are dealing with or students around the world, I want you to think about this young woman who's going to try to go to class today and has been going to class every day this year, knowing that her sisters cannot go to school, they cannot work, there's no electricity in their home, and that future filled with hope that they believed was set before them is vapor. Let's get a little perspective. The other person we heard from yesterday in this webinar I was listening to um, is from Ukraine. And he actually uh, brought his family, he and his family came to the United States um, a few years ago because in 2014, when their part of the country was overrun by the Russians, they were under severe persecution as Christians. And so they came to the United States on a religious humanitarian visa. But now things in Ukraine have the attention of everyone. And it's not just the plight of his family, but the plight of his extended family, and his friends trapped in a country under siege. Four million children, not only internally displaced, but among the refugees who have crossed international borders for fear of their lives. And and they are among tens of millions, more than 80 million people worldwide um, currently displaced from their homes. The, the, the world has a lot uh, going on, and we need perspective. And our perspective is too small. We need God's perspective. So that's my invitation today. Let's gain an eternal, godly perspective on not only the issues that we face, but on the issues that people around the world are facing today. God is the only one big enough um, to handle it all. And here's the good news. God's got it all in hand. I don't understand that. I can't explain it, but I know it's true. God is great and God is good. Nick Pitts is going to join us next. We're going to cover some of the other headlines of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. shining when you close your eyes because daylight savings time is going to be made permanent. I don't know. Nick Pitts is back. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Hey, good morning. Carmen, good morning. Great to be with you. It's great to have you. It's great to have you. Okay, so um, I really wanted to start, I was tempted to start with um, with the news off the Florida coast about Scott. 
because great Scott. I know. <laughs> He's a 1,600-pound great white shark swimming off of Florida's coast, and they had him. They tagged him, and they let him go. This is the part of yeah. the story I just confess to you I don't understand. Yeah, this is a, a very mammoth of a large shark weighing what measuring over 12 feet long weighing 1600 pounds and striking fear into every prospective beach goer um i am i'm going to have to apply extra sunscreen as well as courage um when i go out to the beach this summer don't go to the shark's house if you've never seen yeah. the don't go to the shark's house video now would be the time to tee that back up okay on more on to more much more serious matters um apparently Americans actually do agree on something what is the thing that um, we agree on you know Aretha Franklin sang it and we all agree that we need it so R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me so a new a new study a new survey came out from Deseret News and the Marist poll showed that 92% of US adults say the call to do unto others as they would do unto you is quote very necessary close quote or quote necessary quote um, close quote as part of their personal lives. What we're finding is that the golden rule is not only golden, but it's also pervasive as well. And that uh, the vast majority of Americans are, are have an expectation and desire with the th how they live, move, and have their being to have the golden rule dictate their lives. When you and I. Um talk about the golden rule, you know, we are looking to Scripture as the source of that, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, not everyone is acknowledging or even recognizing that the golden rule is biblical. This is, seems one of those, like, residue uh, cultural realities, um, you know, sort of living on the shadow of our former Christian identity um, as Americans. Oh, yeah. Uh, Barner's put out research. It's kind of it's staggering. I'm sure uh, you and your listeners have heard it uh, about just how little Americans understand biblical concepts such as the Great Commission, uh, even among Christians. Those type of concepts have really fallen um, out of our understanding from just a kind of a mainstream understanding of it, as well as just evangelical understanding of it. We know what to do, but we don't know what it's called. But what we do know, uh, because we're experiencing it day to day, is that we do need uh, this this type of respect, this type of um, civility to be pervasive throughout the U.S. I, I found another poll that found that 67 percent of people said rudeness was a problem here in the U.S. Three out of four, so about 76 percent, said civility had dropped in recent years. And what we know is that rudeness is contagious. It's kind of it's similar to a cold. The more rudeness you see, the more likely you're to perceive it from others and pass it on yourself. There's even a study that said that witnessing rudeness can hurt productivity when it comes to routine tasks. So we know the problems of rudeness. We know the, the need for civility, and we're keenly aware that their people rudeness is becoming a problem. But there's still a strong desire to have this uh, golden rule dictate our lives and be characteristic of our society. All right. We're talking with Nick Pitts. Um, he is a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. We're going to um, we're going to come back with a conversation about who was wearing what at the Oscars on the red carpet. 
Yeah, not because that matters, but because it gives us an opportunity to ask you, what did you put on this morning? Who are you putting on? You got Ephesians 6 in mind? Are you putting on Christ or is that just a put on? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You say it comes to Continuing our conversation with Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. All right, Nick, um, I think it's too early in the morning to ask who are you wearing, but that's the question that's overheard on the red carpet at the Oscars. Um, Answers include, you know, uh, a bunch of names of designers I've never heard. But it did get me thinking, as a Christian, um, you know, who am I wearing and is my putting on of Christ just to put on? Well, you know, Carmen, it's never too early. I'm always prepared. I'm dressed for success. Mm-hmm. I am ZZ Top, sharp-dressed man this morning. I'm sporting the 2021 collection of the Fort Worth Cowtown Marathon um, ah. uh, with some Nike shorts. Uh, you know, it is a— You're ready is, for a run, it, man. Uh, I am. I'm. I'm ready for the idea of a run. We won't say that it's actually going to happen, but no. There's. I mean, just every year. Not even just every year. It feels like every other month when there's an award show, we always are gravitating towards the best dressed or the worst dressed. We're looking for things that are standing out. And then there's some of us that are wondering, my goodness, are they even dressed? That's just no, that's barely true. covering covering up anything at all. Um, because as we all know, like we're, there's, there's a lot of research and there's just a large part of the human cognition is this idea that we gravitate towards the clothes people wear. Um, it's the, it's dress has something to do with this. You know, it's called embodied cognition um, out of a 2012 study. It describes that we don't just think with our brains, but also with our bodies as well. Um, clothes influence how we view and interact with the world. Um, and so they found that when they gave participants white coats, they said they belonged to doctors. Um, they also not only, um, not only were the individuals that had the white coats on felt more distinguished and felt a greater responsibility when they were going out into public. It also found that their, in, uh, their attention increased as well. They were more aware of their surroundings simply by wearing a doctor's coat, which want to one extent, for those that have ears to hear, we need to be cognizant of the reality that clothes aren't everything, but they are something. And then two, as you've alluded to, and as Paul iterated in Romans 13, I want to be cognizant about what I'm wearing. Am I putting on? Am I putting on the armor of Christ? Is what Paul would say in Ephesians six. Am I clothing myself in Christ Jesus? I want to be cognizant of the fact that I'm His. I'm a bright light for Him as I make my way into the world. I um, I googled it and I found that there are more than seventy five put off and put on statements in the Bible. So if you think that uh, putting on Christ is something you want to do today and you want to be fully clothed in Christ, you could actually just do what I did. Here are a few. We are to put off bitterness and put on tender-hearted and forgiving attitudes. We are to put off a lack of love and put on love. We are to put off an unforgiving spirit and put on forgiveness. We are to put off judging and put on allowing God to search our hearts. 
We are to put off pride and put on humility, put off boasting and conceit and put on esteeming others. It goes on and on and on. I made a list. Um, you could do it too. It's not actually that hard to do. And it's a like, good reminder. I think I'm going to cut it out and like tape it in my closet where I get dressed. Yeah, Carmen, I mean, you alluded to it just now. I mean, there's clothes not only impact how you interact with the world, but it also interacts with how people see you in the world, right? Mm, and we yeah. know this from a biblical perspective. Like when we recognize that I'm, I'm, I'm the son of a king, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not just anybody. Like I'm, I'm the son of a king that has been sent on mission into this world and not simply just to a, take all the resources from it, but to give back to it and to specifically make his kingdom come and his will be done. There's one aspect of how I interact with the world that changes with the clothes that I wear, the mentality that I put on. But it's also how other people are perceiving me. We know that uh, I'm, I'm a millennial, and so obviously I'm, I'm, trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to lower the dress code wherever I go uh, to a certain degree. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that clothes are an important part of how people see me, recognizing that there's more than the clothes that I wear, but it's also how people view who I am. And I, what do I want as a Christian? I want to be known for my love. I want people to I want people to see the compassion that I extend. I want them to see the patience that I extend with others around me when I'm interacting on the road or at the coffee shop later this morning. I, I, I not only want to be cognizant of my clothes change how I see the world, but also change how others see me in this world as well. Yeah, I remember when we used to get dressed up to go on airplanes. Remember when we used to dress up to go to, well, remember when we used to dress up to go to church? Like, those are good conversations. Uh, All right. We have like, we have like a minute. Do you want to talk about the final four, St. Peter's historic March Madness run, or do you want to talk about the news from NASA? You know what? Let's talk about, let's, let's go dancing a little bit. It's March Madness. My bracket um, is similar to my dinner from last night. It's garbage. (laughs) It's in the garbage. It's, it's atrocious, but I am an agent rooting for chaos now. Um, I can't believe St. Peter's had their run. I was cheering them on as they made their way through um, uh, Kentucky in the first round, Murray State, which is the bitter rival of my alma mater in the second and North Carolina put an end to their to their run in the Elite Eight. I, I love it. We've got with all the madness that happened throughout the tournament, now we've got the most traditional uh, win some of the winningest programs in college basketball history in the final four. Cannot wait to give my weekend yet again over to watching college basketball. <laughs> It's a little bit of a nice reprieve from everything else going on in the world. Um, It's just always a delight to talk with you. Thank you so very much, as always, for joining us. Um, That's Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Like all of us, his his, uh, March Madness brackets are busted, but um, he has the spirit of Christ living within him. And now he's going to go put on Christ as he enters the world that God so loves, and he's going to honor Jesus. I'm very confident of that. He's going to apply the golden rule, doing unto, uh, unto others as he would have them do unto him, actually doing unto others as Christ has done unto us. Maybe that ought to be the new golden rule among Christians. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Welcome back. 
I'm Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen, even if you're not listening to it in the morning. Um, you can share the program with others using the Faith Radio app or streaming at MyFaithRadio.com. want to cover just a couple of headlines here um, so that you are up to speed on what's happening, not only here in the United States, but around the world. Um, in fact, I say here in the United States, you may well not be listening in the United States, but this is what's going on um, here among the Yankees. I think we're all Yankees, aren't we, Paul Perot? I mean, if if the rest of the world were to refer to America, they still call us the Yankees, right? Uh, I mean, even though, yeah, they would call us Yanks, I mean, Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees. yeah even yeah. though you know, I know not everybody. You Southerners likes that think term. we're Yankees up here in the north. So, so okay, yeah. I have a quick story for you, Paul. Right. I because I was born in Indiana and moved to Florida when I was six. Oh, you're a Yankee. Um, um yes, you're north oh, of yes. the Mason Dixon. Oh, yes. And our neighbors in Florida, when we would go swimming in the winter, they would remind us of such. Mm -hmm. True enough. Yeah, because apparently only Yankees swim in the winter. But there you go. (laughs) Uh, Today, first face-to-face talks in two weeks between Russia and Ukraine. So that um, actually started yesterday in Turkey. I would say I would say that there are some flickering hopes that it might progress toward ending the war in Ukraine. Um, Ahead of the meeting, the Ukrainian president, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, said that his country is prepared to declare its neutrality, um, which is something that Moscow has demanded, uh, said that Ukraine is open to compromise over the contested eastern region of the Donbass, but that, uh, you know, Russian forces have to stop killing Ukrainians, they have to stop bombing the country, and they have to leave. So there you go. Uh, Even as talks were underway, um, Russian forces hit an oil depot in western Ukraine just outside of Lviv, um, a government building in the southern portion of the country. Um, And the mayor of Mariupol um, said that it was time for a complete evacuation of his city, which now has um, no resources left to sustain life. People across the Middle East um, are watching what is happening uh, in terms of the Western response to to Ukraine. And there there are charges. I mean, I'm just going to use the term hypocrisy um, because Western countries have invoked international law, imposed crippling sanctions, begun welcoming refugees with wide open arms. um, No, no questions asked at borders across um, Europe or even here in the United States. The The response has really elicited No small measure of outrage from places where um, those things have not been true. When international conflict has arisen in other places, the West, including the United States, has not responded in the same way um, that we have responded to the situation in Ukraine. There are uh, many, many reasons for that, but it doesn't change the feeling on the ground um, among people who see not only the United States, but other Western countries responding very differently um, to events in Ukraine than we have responded, um, you know, over the last handful of decades to uh, to issues in um, in the Middle East and actually across Africa and Asia as well. So um, those are some of the things that I think we should be aware of. We should consider. We should think about what does it look like to treat everyone equally. I mean, God has no, God shows no partiality. People are people and each and every one of them is precious regardless of uh, the nation where they're born, um, the circumstances of their birth, the color of their skin, on and on and on. Uh, Let's, let's place equal value on every person 
um, because each and every one is precious in God's sight. We're going to talk with Luke Moon up next from the Philos Project. We're going to take a look at some um, thread lines in the conversation about Ukraine. And we're also going to talk about this really fascinating religious argument against making daylight savings time permanent. Because after all, legally, by, um, by their uh, law, um, you can't actually start morning prayers until the sun is up if you're an observant Jew. Yeah, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. Luke Moon is back. He works with the Philos Project. Um, you can find him at philosproject.org. Luke, good morning. Good morning. Um, so we, oh, I'm, I am well. Thank you so much. Um, so we have a, a listener, Jim, from Connecticut, who uh, has is asking the question, um, hey, what if the Russians actually just agreed to leave? Who's going to pay for the cleanup and rebuilding? Imagine just the physical cost. And so... You know, it didn't take me long to discover that bean counters are already working on that. Um, I mean, there are parts of Ukraine where literally every road is going to have to be rebuilt and reconstructed. You have seen some places like that um, in your time. Um, When we talk about the time and the cost of rebuilding after, you know, after an area is just utterly destroyed. What has your experience been? I mean, like, I guess I'm wondering, like, how are things going in the Levant? You and I have talked in the past about rebuilding communities there. How's that effort going? It's It takes a long time. And it also, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I'll, I'll actually describe it more from, you know, my time in the Balkans. I was in, I was in Sarajevo uh, probably, you know, eight years after the the war in in the Balkans, and there were still buildings that had, you know, bullet holes on the side of them. There was, um, you know, there there was a lot of even pockmarked buildings up until you know 2009, 2010, right? And and it takes a long time to to you know take care of that, but it also psychologically it. You know, you can either be a people that decides we're going to basically tear everything down and start over, or what happens also sometimes is they leave sections up as a reminder: this is what they did to us, right? And mm-hmm. and sadly, when they when they leave up parts that, and say this is what they did to us, uh, it tends to create a uh, animosity and generational hatred, right? Because it's always before them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we bombed Dresden, you know, and, and Tokyo and, uh, you know, heck Hiroshima, right? And, and yet, you know, there's, there's only small reminders of those. And, you know, we do, we do have, you know, peace with Japan and, and, and Germany, you know, after we, we did that to them, but, Nevertheless, I think it it's very difficult, especially like early on, for people to get over the fact that you know what the Russians have done to the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are not going to forget for a long time now. Yeah, I think the uh, the effort to memorialize the peace that comes um, 
and the commitment to rebuild is significant. Those are both significant. It's not lost on me that right now um, in both Japan and in our nation's capital, um, there are cherry blossom festivals going on um, because Japan gave us cherry, you know, cherry trees um, so that, you know, we would never forget that, um, yeah, that there is now peace at a very high, at a very high cost, but there is peace. And I mean, the, you know, the other issue is that, you know, to, to, you know, Jim's question on who pays for it. I mean, we paid for it for for Japan and and uh, Germany, right? I I would be amazed if Russia paid for the re- rebuilding of 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 Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, after World War One, that was what the West did to Germany for for World War One was to make it mm-hmm. pay for what it had done to to the rest to the rest of the world at that point, which then led to World War II, right? Because mm-hmm. it was so, it was so punishing. And, and I honestly, Carmen, I, I don't, I, I see very, I can see, you know, how, you know, not having been around, it'll be, you know, after World War I, I can see that same kind of reaction now by the world community to say, you did this. We're going to punish you. I mean, heck, we already we're already punishing them. The the average, you know, with sanctions and and cutting off the internet. You know, they, they can't watch Netflix in in Russia these days, right? And they their cell phones don't work for a bunch of apps, right? And you know, the the McDonald's that opened in you know in the Soviet Union, the first one closed down last week, right? All of those are are you know, perhaps symbolic, but they are the evidence of the world punishing the Russians for what the Russians, what, 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 what Putin particularly, but the Russians have done to the Ukrainians. And I can very much see that the, the, to, exa- to exact the punishment on the Russians to pay for the rebuilding of Ukraine and the Russians not sitting by and letting that happen or creating a, a, like a seething uh, resentment within Russia for the rest of the world and particularly Ukraine for putting that on them. Mm-hmm. For those of you looking um, for numbers, the bean counters are at it. Apparently the cost of direct damage to your Ukraine's infrastructure, just the infrastructure um, is uh, that running estimate is now $63 billion. That's according to the Kiev school of economics. So that's just the infrastructure cost. Um, who knows what it would cost to rebuild a, an entire uh, city uh, like uh, Mariupol? I mean, or on and on and on. All right, let's talk about some of um, particular groups of people among the refugees. Um, the Jews are people who live have lived all over the world. So obviously, there were Jews in Ukraine. Let's talk about the Jews among the refugees um, uh, leaving Ukraine. Right. So there were about before the war started, there was about 200,000 Jews uh, in Ukraine. And they have, you know, because of, you know, Israel is a place where Jews can flee uh, in a moment of crisis. uh, Thousands and thousands of, of Jews are going to Ukraine. And it really is like, you know, it's one of those testimonies to the difference between uh, having an Israel and not having an Israel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see, I mean, how how great it would have been 
uh, you know, in the under the war with I in you know Iraq and the and ISIS for the Christians who are being persecuted from from Iraq and uh, the surrounding regions to have you know the the Christian equivalent of of Israel where Christians could have fled and found peace and or you know like found a people welcome you know they're one you know they're brothers and sisters if you will welcoming them into their community instead you know there wasn't a christian nation on the planet that that did that sadly mm. so um that sort of reminds me that these um i don't know i would just call like an updated meeting of the abraham accord uh summit um like this is going on, and it's pretty uh, pretty extraordinary. The U.S. Secretary of State uh, is in Israel for the Abraham Accord meetings. Um, yeah. I mean, I, these Arab countries that have normalized relations with Israel. Like, if the things weren't going on in Ukraine that are going on, we would be talking about this. Oh, I mean, it is, this this whole thing between uh, the fact that you know the, you had Blinken with the Israelis with the Egyptians and the uh, UAE and Bahrain and Morocco, like it's it it is perhaps one of the most important uh, events that has taken place uh, in, I mean, honestly, in our lifetime, because the it completely reshapes and reimagines uh, what can what can happen in the in the Middle East. I mean, we only mm-hmm. know. I mean, most of us, I mean, I mean, heck, I, you know, I was in high school when the Gulf War, the first Gulf War happened. I mean, that is that is the memory of most Americans, right, of U.S. in in the Middle East, war, violence, just, you know, hatred, all that sort of stuff. And here you have uh, Arab countries that were, you know, antagonistic all had signed the you know the declaration that they would not make peace with israel and here they made peace with israel and it it's 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 making a huge difference i i was talking to people last night you know we named the um the peace deal with with egypt which which you know this anniversary was a couple days ago uh it's it's called camp david and the peace deal with with Jordan and Israel is called the Oslo Accords, but this peace deal is called the Abraham Accords, right? Because it appeals to something, not to a location <laughs> where where the the deal was signed, but a deeper value based understanding of of the region and the people who live there that they have something in common that perhaps is deeper than the the economic exchanges that are currently happening between you know Israel and the UAE right there's a there's a it's a it's an appeal to to values not just monetary exchange 100% it is a historic event and it is um yeah it it is it, it is amazing and so Luke we'll circle back around to that topic um in future conversations 
Uh, we got to step away just very, very briefly from our conversation with Luke Moon. You can find him at Philos Project. Philos is P-H-I-L-O-S, philosproject.org. Um, when we come back, we're going to touch on a number of other headlines around the world. But I am going to ask um, about this religious argument against making daylight savings time permanent. Um, you know me. I'm looking for all the reasons to not make it permanent because I care about our radio signals that don't, um, you know, that aren't very strong until the sun rises, which seems crazy, but still true. And so um, now I have a religious argument, then I'm kind of excited about it. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Luke Moon is with us this morning. You can find him at the Philos Project, philosproject.org. Um, Luke, let's uh, let's talk about this religious argument against making daylight savings time permanent. I will confess that, uh, I mean, I, everybody knows this, I get up in the dark. Um, so my prayers are prayers as the sun rises, but other people pray at or after sunrise. T- talk about this, um, talk about this religious argument. Yeah, well, it's the uh, Orthodox Jews pray at at sunrise, right? The sun has to come up, right? And the prayer that they have, which is which is a group prayer, you need to have at least 10 men to create a minion. And it is a group of men who will, who will pray for, you know, and they'll gather in the in the synagogue, they'll walk to synagogue and pray in the morning. And then everybody goes off and, and has their day. And that prayer takes about uh, 40 minutes, right? So if you have to you know, if the sun doesn't come up until, I don't know, eight o'clock or later, um, you, you're, you're going to have a hard time showing up for work at nine. If your prayer is, is, uh, is, you know, is 45 minutes. And, you know, the thing is, you probably are aware of this, Carmen, because you, you have, um, clearly, uh, a lot of invested interest in this, you know, seemingly minor, minor, change in the calendar. I, I am the farmer. I am the farmer of old. <laughs> exactly. I am. Is that we tried this in 1974. Uh, in 1974, we got rid of the, we, we, you know, made the daylight savings time permanent. And it turns out that people hated that. It turns out that for all the, you know, the huffing and puffing about having to change our clocks and whatever, which we don't anymore because my phone tell, does it automatically. My my truck does it automatically. You know, just leave aside that. But it was people were like, "Wow, I don't actually like, um, you know, to to have to go to work in the dark." Uh, I you know that that little momentary change in in October uh, is was actually was actually good, right? And uh, so. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's popular in the moment because people are like, why are we changing this? You know, we're, you know, we're not farmers anymore. Yeah, but we are still people who, you know, don't like to go to work in the dark. Yeah. As Christians, um, I I make the appeal that we should get up in the dark um, because the testimony of, of prayer at sunrise is a good one to us as resurrection people. Um, All right. I have two other things here that I didn't send you, but I feel confident you'll be prepared to discuss. Um, Taliban hardliners are turning back the clock in Afghanistan. Um, Hopes that, you know, had existed that um, they were going to let 
teenage girls go back to school and other such things. Um, yeah, in fact, that's not that's not happening. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know who thought that they were going to honor that. I mean, I, I the Taliban are are pretty committed to being the Taliban. I mean, that was there, and and you know, I think we talked about this when you know when they took over that it doesn't take a lot of people. Uh, who are zealous to completely ruin a country, right? 5% of Germany, only only 5% of Germany ever joined the Nazi party, and yet they destroyed the world, right? Not in Germany mm-hmm. to this day. And, you know, the, you know, the, um, I don't think 10% of China is members of the Communist Party, and less than 10% of, of Afghanistan has, is, uh, supports the Taliban or is even members of the Taliban. And yet they are ruining the lives of women and girls and people who don't want to live according, you know, people who, who, who like to play music at weddings, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's, 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 and it's sad. It is. And, it, you know, I, I think that, you know, I'm of the mind, you know, I don't, you know, I don't like people that have to suffer, but the fact that the, the world is like, is still giving aid to the to Afghanistan in the name of you know we got to help the people. I I think you know perhaps the it, we shouldn't honestly and let the Taliban have to live with the consequences of the the being in charge of a nation that uh, you know is is suffering and then have to deal with the consequences of people who are sick and tired of suffering and know who to blame. Yeah. International media broadcasts, including um, Pashto and the Persian BBC services, which broadcast in two languages is in Afghanistan, um, have been off the air. Um, and um, yeah, in addition to preventing women beyond the sixth grade from going to school, um, they cannot travel unless they are accompanied by a male relative. Men and women can only visit public parks on separate days. Uh, no one can use mobile telephones on university campuses. I mean, on and on and on. It is um, the Taliban is being the Taliban. And while we should not be surprised by that, um, some in, you know, some some who had hoped that the Taliban was not going to be the Taliban are surprised by it all. All right, I'm going to give you um, one minute to talk about um, what, why the Iran deal that the United States is um, is looking to enter into is bad. Oh, it is so bad, Carmen. I mean, it is it it unleashes upon the whole of the Middle East the 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 it's like you know Pandora's box, like or whatever those you know the Greek mythology that you let let the demons out of the box because. It releases the uh, the Republican Guard, the Islamic Republican Guard, from the terror watch list. It releases all of the worst, uh, most despicable uh, Iranian leaders who have caused the death of and and maimment of many American service members in Afghanistan and Iraq. And it gives a bunch of money to Iran that will then use that money as they had the last time in its proxy wars against the Sunnis in Yemen, in Syria, in it, like giving money to Hezbollah, more money to Hezbollah, more money to Hamas. It sets the Middle East on fire and it will lead to 
the Saudis getting a bomb and the Iranians and the Saudis looking at each other like, you want to play? And, um, you know, last time that happened was the one that when when Pakistan and India both got the bomb. It was a I mean, not a lot of people remember, but it was a very tense. There was they were very close to going to war and uh, that would have been catastrophic. And I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure uh, that either the Iranians or the Saudis uh, would would not um, uh, press the button and go at it in a in a nuclear way. And that would be yeah. tragic. So I, I don't I, I don't think we should be talking to the Iranians. We should. This is this is it is a bad deal. Everybody who has been a part of that deal uh, has, has who who was who was like reasonable has quit the negotiations on the American side because it, it seems that the the mentality out of this administration is is a deal at all costs so that they can you know so it, they can you know write it down on Twitter that they made a deal right but mm-hmm. it is so bad for the Middle East. And, you know, every American Christian, every American should be praying that this deal does not happen, that because Russia is involved, that we um, use that as an opportunity to, to not be uh, talking to Iran. Sadly, I think the, the high oil prices are the excuse that the Biden administration is looking at in order to make a deal with Iran. So that they can say, see, you know, we made a deal with Iran and, and oil prices will come down because, you know, we'll lift mm. sanctions on Iranian oil. Uh, and see, Luke, I knew I knew I knew you'd I knew you'd be able to summarize it. <laughs> and I knew it, and I knew you would think it was bad. Hey, we love having you. Thank you so much. Sorry Thank to you. cut. Um, sorry to cut our conversation short. Um, that's no Luke problem. Moon. You can find him at the Philos Project, philosproject.org. If, if, um, if you care about Jews in your own community, there's some really cool opportunities right now um, to become an advocate in your own community and um, learn how to not only befriend but stand with Jewish people in your own community. Um, Philos Project has got um, some cool stuff going on that. You might want to check that out today, philosproject.org. All right. Um, the first hour of Mornings with Carmen is now completely chewed up, <clears throat> but um, hopefully it has given you good, um, healthy fodder for the day. We've got another hour coming up next. We're going to visit with Dr. Brett Nix about some um, medical headlines around the country. And then Jason Romano from Sports Spectrum is going to be back. We're going to do some NCAA headlines, but also some baseball, 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 baseball storylines as well. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.